G'day humans, welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas. How about a bit of fun today with one of Australia's greatest performers, uh, a little conversation about what it takes to sustain a career in the creative arts, a career as fantabulous as today's guests. She is uh, one of Australia's most beloved performers. She's an actor, an improv comic, a television host. She's hosted the official New Year's Eve telecast live from Sydney Harbour, the music quiz show Rock Quiz, and most notably her own beloved television interview show, Julia Zamiro's Home Delivery. I sat down with her to muse on her career and what it takes to make it in a tough biz. Enjoy the one and only Julia Zamiro. So you're anxious about flying ever since COVID. Mm. You don't strike me as that person. I don't want to be that person. Why don't you not be that person? Um, Are you afraid of little germs floating through the air of the aeroplane? bit, but I'm just scared of being shot out of the sky, if I'm honest. Oh, right. I'm a bit scared of that. And you'd say, why would you think that? But I don't know. Yeah. Well, don't fly over Ukraine. Sure. Or even probably Russia. Sure. Or any number of a growing list of countries. So... so Internal strife. So when I was um, doing commentary for the Eurovision Song Contest. Yes, which I want to talk about. One of my favourite jobs in the whole entire world. Um, The year I left, um, it was going to Ukraine. And and we'd been before doing other things before for Eurovision. I mean, loved it. But uh, part of me just went, oh, God, it's all a bit much. And I don't know. I think we have a healthy sense of denial as human beings, which is absolutely necessary. But any level of denial I've had, Mm. strongly built up in me as an only child, I just think the last five years has really just started to chip away. And I don't mind it. I don't mind feeling more. But mm. Well, you're sort of feeling the wrong things, though, aren't you, in this era, in this crazy time? Yeah, sure. So it's not it's it's the being shot out of the sky, not so much. But why did COVID bring about the shot out of a sky? Oh, I well, we couldn't go anywhere for threat. ages for a start. So you and got out of the habit. You got out of the habit, and also maybe it's something about oh, I, I, I look, I, I'm astounded that people don't talk about COVID still every day. The sense of vulnerability, what could happen? It shut the world down. I mean, it's pretty no, no. incredible. I don't like to think about it. I don't all I remember do. it. I'm just What's like, what's the matter with you? Think about why it. Why don't we not? remember that period. But it's a bit like I thought we were going to genuinely learn something quite extraordinary out of that time. For yeah, all no. the horror of it, it felt like the revolution that could be had, right? We were going to, for example, just even the way we all fell in love with teachers again. Now, my mum's nurses. a teacher and nurses. But, I mean, really, I think teachers, you kind of go, you do realise they do a pretty good job out there. Yeah, when you there. have to actually teach the little nutbags yourself wow. at home. And then you realise oh, we fall in love with them and then we forget about them. We're very, I don't know, I understand that everybody wants to get back to normal and not think about it. I understand that, of course, but when we you make a mistake a in life, more. no, but when you make a, sta- a mistake in life, when stuff happens to you in life, it's kind of a learning curve. You kind of go, oh, right, what was that about? Mm. I don't know. I think we should reflect more on. What were our mistakes? <clears throat> our mistakes were life is precious help each other more. I mean, you know what was blowing my tiny mind? Victoria had it bad, right? So in New South Wales, I'd go into shops because I've got friends in, in Victoria and I was worried about them and I'd say to people in shops, morning, they go, hi, how's your day? And I go, great, I guess. I mean, what about Victoria? I'm like, why? What's happening in Victoria? <laughs> 
who are these people? And I'd say, oh, you know, like, I mean, COVID, they're like, yeah, but I mean, we're fine here. I go, you're sure, but in Victoria, not a 10-hour drive away from here, it's quite full on. I know I've got mates there. I'm just thinking about Listeners them. Listeners in Europe will find it hilarious that you just said, not a 10-hour drive, <laughs> as if it's really close. You know, there's someone listening in Brussels who's oh. like, not a 10-hour drive, I know, but this... that would get me across eight countries. I know. That's why I want to go back overseas because mm. I want the pleasure of driving for 10 hours and crossing a couple of yeah, borders. and actually having some different human beings. Oh, fr- and different foods. Different foods. Different smells. That's great. You're going to have to get over the aeroplane thing then. You're not going to get shot out of the sky. And you're not going to catch COVID on a plane. Even if you do catch COVID on a plane, at this stage, do you care? So you, can you do that in a little loop and I'll just play it on an, a little... That'd be great. I'll of... do it for you. They should put me on the in-flight entertainment radio station just saying, you're not going to catch COVID on a plane and the plane's not going to be blown out of the sky. Why have they not... Please note. It's that? insane. These statements may not be true. I will make a, a call today. Okay. Very good. So uh, I've just been wandering around the world. That's been very fun. That's mm. why we're talking about aeroplanes. I love flying still. I, I mean, that was... a. One of the worst things about the pandemic was the sense of being trapped inside this country. Lovely country. Nothing against this country. Sure. Great land. But I don't want to only be in this land. <laughs> I don't want to not be able to leave the land. I know. And whether you, wanna... were, whether you were born here, you're a kids of immigrants, whatever, once you grow up in Australia, you realise, oh, if I want to do anything, I really have to go a long way. So you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's what we do. We've yeah, got to go a long a... way. I was just in New York and Washington <laughs> and then I was like, I'll pop over to Portugal and see a friend of mine who lives in Europe. And to an American or a European, the idea that you pop over the Atlantic sounds ridiculous. But for me, I'm like, it's a five-hour flight. Mm. It's nothing. It's like going to Perth. Oh. It's nothing. No. This is, yeah, they're in the same neck of the woods. Yeah. You sit on a plane for 22 hours, oh, an extra five is not going to kill you. Expand your mind. Expand your mind, baby. <laughs> Stretch your legs. <laughs> okay. So what, have you flown yet? Have you flown overseas yet since the pandemic? No, I told you I haven't. Well, you didn't say you hadn't. You said no. you don't like it. No, I've been to Perth for a rock quiz Literally. job. Yep, that's it. Just gone to Rockwiz. How did you go on the plane? It was a bit tricky to begin with. It was all right. People say Australians are parochial, (laughs) but you you were born in Aix-en-Provence. I know. You're a lady of the world. You did the Eurovision and everything. You don't strike me as a parochial Australian. It's not about being parochial. It's just a layer of denial has been just pulled away from my eyes and I've just gone, ah, yes, stuff can happen. But what was the denial? There was no denial. The fact that... I mean, Thousands uh, of flights leave of t- and take off every and land some every day safely. Some don't. Yeah, well, mo- mo- a lot more cars don't. So you would have to have sure. a concomitantly, proportionately higher stress sure. level driving in a car. I guess part of me goes to I don't want to be, look. My stepson's overseas at the moment, having the time of his life, which is wonderful. But um, I don't know. I'm 56, so maybe age has something to do with it as well. <laughs> What a Debbie Downer. What's Hello, my name's called George. grasping at straws. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm a blonde. Maybe Maybe I need to just... Because my name starts with Z. Okay, I know what it is. Okay, what? okay. Here we go, here we go, here we go. I think what it is is I have to create an exciting enough reason to go mm. and that means I'm, a, I'm, not a ter- I'm not a very good holidayer. So I need to go and do something. That's why I loved Eurovision because we had something to do when right. we were there. And then after the crazy 10 days of what we were doing, I'd always stay there longer, hang around for a couple of weeks, do some fun things. And then you feel like, oh, yeah, this is time. So maybe I need to do a course or something. Yeah. Would a delectable Portuguese pastry be enough of a reason? 
Almost. Yeah, and they're pretty Doing good. tapas every day is almost... Well, that's Spain, but yeah, uh, yeah, sure. They do it there as well. They're all, all the same. The Iberians. I like structure. I need structure. Are you a workaholic? In that, I get great pleasure out of it, always have in general. Um, but in 2019, I was starting to think, hmm, I'm not loving this as much as I used to. Right. So maybe I'll take a year off, haha. And um, we were going to go to France, my partner and I, to scatter my dad's ashes because he died oh. in 2019. We're you were going up very happy, go yeah, to France, yeah, yeah. and then took France, it straight back down again. Yeah, because of COVID. Dad's ashes. Well, sure, but, you know, he's French and I wanted to do the right thing and I, I, I thought it would be a lovely thing to do, to speak to his relatives and say what went down and... And so we were all planning to go overseas and we were going, we'll go back to Denmark as well and, and then COVID. Mm. <clears throat> and, um, so where did you put Pops? He's still in my cupboard. He's still here. Yeah, he's in, in the garage. Cupboard. Yeah, yeah. No, my cupboard. I'm going to put him in the cupboard. garage. It's cold in there. Where's the cupboard? Um, Just off my bedroom. Okay. Yeah. Mm. And he's doing okay? Yeah, I think he is. As well as an we, urn of ashes can be expected to I do. I planted an olive tree. Oh, that's in nice. In the backyard. So I do look at it sometimes and go and tend to it and have a chat. And You could scatter him there. I might. Is it okay to divvy it up? I might divvy yeah, it up. Yeah, you yep. could do that. Some I think would so. go Why to are you asking me? I'm an authority on the desecration of human remains. You have talked to a lot of people it's in true, your time. I have. And I have a feeling you might have had a couple of interesting conversations. Have about. I spoken to a person about the etiquette of the scattering of human remains? No. I mean, you Don't know, there are so. great stories about how you can't scatter them in so many places. Yeah, right? you're not allowed to yes. in some places. Yes. That's right. So I'm always interested in going, where can't you? Yeah. Where should you? I always like the stories about people who try to take it out to sea and they're on a boat <laughs> and they try to throw it in the in the water and <laughs> the wind blows and it gets in their eyes and yeah. they're spluttering with yeah. human ashes in their mouth and nose yeah. and ears. I want to see you doing that. Yeah. No, I'll be smart. I'll be, there'll be no sketch. wind where I am. No, you know, okay. No. Yeah. So if someone tells you that, okay, you can go overseas and you can have a beautiful two-week-long, all-expenses-paid trip mm. to somewhere mm. of your choosing, mm. or they say you can go overseas and shoot this gig that we've got for you, you'd be likely to travel because of the gig? Mm, probably. Because there's, like I say, like a structure, there's something to do and then afterwards you can enjoy yourself and be wherever you might be, perhaps in Aix-en-Provence, the south of France, where you can just relax and uh, hear the language. You know, mm. I miss hearing that particular uh, slang jargon dialect of that south of France. My dad and I used to kind of joke around in it, you know. So I don't really get it. It goes over my head a little bit. Et bien alors, c'est un peu comme ça. Exactly. Alors, tu vas pas me dire. Yeah. Oh là là. Oh, plus cher. And I, it's, so it's like, what would be the equivalent? It'd be like, it's like a cockney maybe? Yeah, or like a thick Scottish brogue. Yeah, yeah. Where if you're not absolutely fluent, you might, it might, you know, a lot, lot slides past, like goes yeah. over my head. It's very, ch like if you go and see that Manon des Sources and Jean de Florette movie, oh my sweet Jesus. I mean, I, I, if I want to spend time with my dad in my mind, yeah. I go and see that film. Because oh, Yves Montand's nice. got it. He looked a bit like Yves Montand when he was young. So did for he? me, it's, yeah, he was hot. He's oh, a wow. Guy, yeah. When did he die? 2019. Yeah. Oh, 20, yeah, that's right. You said During the fires, COVID. like those awful fires, Christmas, on New Year's Eve. Oh, no. Can I make a joke about the fires and the ash or something? No. Okay, I won't do that. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't then. That would have been but embarrassing. But you asked and I really appreciate that. Yeah, no, that, you're welcome. You're more than welcome. Um, how did Julia Zamiro's home delivery come about? A lovely story. Um, because uh, 
I was 37 and I was thinking, if I don't get a good gig by the time I'm 40, even though I'd had some amazing gigs. You had. Time's running out. I'm going to stop, right? And then I get Rockwiz. And Rockwiz opened all these doors, like SBS. I started doing Eurovision, all that great. And then Cordell Jigsaw, Zap Ruder, who And make, just quickly tell people who aren't Australian oh, what Rockwiz is. Rockwiz is like... Was. It, well, we still do it live. Is. Um, yeah. Like I and say, Foxtel, is. we've just done some shows. Um, basically, I am the host of two teams... There are three contestants on each team. Some of them come from the audience and are absolute rock brains. Two of them are well-known musicians. And we have a band behind me. And it's like this mad quiz night of rock and roll trivia plus a band. Each musician sings a song each and a duet you might not expect at the end. And were you always a music aficionado? I read Rolling Stone cover to cover. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I had uh, lots of albums. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I went. I was probably more of a theatre kid. I went to the theatre a lot. That was my jam. But when I did the audition for it, um, Brian Ankervis, who is one of the producers of the show and it's his idea and is almost like a co-host really when we do it live, he did uh, – we did the audition. I did the auto cue. Stuff and I'm literally out the door and he's gone, hey, can we actually give you the quiz? And I've gone, oh, no, they can actually give me a quiz on music. Anyway, I got 75%. Totally up myself. I was pretty happy. And But then it's not about that. It's about can you control a room? Can you improvise with contestants? So at the callback, they had two teams of some of the best comedians sitting there being contestants, which is kind of even harder because they all want to show off. Mm. The band was behind me and I'd never met them before, those beautiful men, and filmed. And so I just remember thinking to myself, Julia, if there is a time to go for it now and improvise a little ass off, it'd be now. And I loved it. had a great time. And, and they said to me later, you know, uh, we needed someone who could take control of a room. It's, it's immaterial how much you may or may not know. Now I know a lot more now. But... Um, yeah, I would say theatre was more my, my thing as a kid. But mm. but Rockwiz opened all these doors and with with um, Eurovision Song Contest, there was a lot of interviewing backstage of people whose English wasn't their first language and I loved, that was my favourite part of all. And anyway, Cordell Jigsaw, Zapruder, CJZ, the production company who make Home Delivery, uh, said, you know, you, you conduct these interviews. They call me in and said, and you really, you don't know what you're going to get and you're kind of really good with people who can't even speak English and you're kind of figuring it out and we'd like to do a, an interview show with you. And I thought, well, you know, Denton, Andrew Denton was part of that still and I thought, well, hasn't that interview show been done? I don't want to do a show in a studio. I really don't. And, you know, we don't have a lot of people we can interview here without starting to kind of repeat so they came up with a concept, which was, well, what if you did it all outside? You pick them up in a car, a car of their past, a car they remember, and you drive them to their one of their first homes or their home, and you maybe go to one of their schools. And yes, it sounds traumatic. And sometimes it no, is. No, it sounds ingenious. Josh. It's ingenious. And... Uh, you know, I remember the first day of the first episode we ever filmed and I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go down. I don't know if I can do this. But, um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you think you can't do something or it's a bit beyond you and you think, well, come on, just do it. Yeah. And 
it was really great. So we did five to begin with and then we ended up with 77 by the end. So it was it was a really great team, amazing crew, three cameras at once. So one camera on me, one camera on the guest and one on the two of us so that we could literally move through the day once without having to repeat anything except mm. for maybe a couple of wives or whatever and really just enjoy the day and hope they kind of go along in a kind of chronological order and enjoy the day too. That's good, isn't it? Having three cameras so you don't have to go, okay, now can we just stop? Can you wipe the tears off? We're just going to go back, cry again exactly. as if you're seeing your old school for the very first time and we'll yep. be you in the close-up this time and, and then we'll do it again for a wide. Well, for them it shouldn't feel like they're filming a drama. You know, it should feel like it has to only happen once otherwise you just lose any kind of momentum in the day and we only would do them in a day. Oh, my God, I can't believe it. But, yeah, we did it in one day. But that's why it felt natural as well. Mm. If, it was, if it was staggered out too much it wouldn't have had the same zing the same pizzazz. Yeah, and I kind of, my big learning curve was stop commenting, a bit like with radio, stop making noises that you're agreeing with them yeah. every time. And also to mm. shut up. Mm. Just listen. Yeah, a lot of, mm. a lot of mm. Yeah. yeah. A yeah. lot of wow as well. Wow. 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 Really hated myself for my wows, but right. look, you've got to let it go. Did they clip any wows for they, the cutting room floor? Sometimes they'd send me the edit and I'd go, oh, is there any way? You we need to do an edit out. just of your wows yeah. and do a mashup. Yep. That'll go viral <laughs> of just you saying wow from the outtakes of uh, Julia's Romero's Home Delivery. That'd be great. Wow. Wow. Because you don't want to, because then you go, what do you say? Because sometimes the, what they say is really It's wow worthy. And you'll go, incredible. You sound like an idiot if you do that. And then you, you try and show it in your face and go, ha. Ah. <laughs> you want to say, oh, how? Mm, you just go, <gasps> you just mouth it. work. Yeah. Wow. Was it ever clunky with three cameras going around? What if you well, want to go somewhere where you hadn't planned to? And you go, oh, well, let's go over and look at that briar patch. We would roughly say, where do you want to go to the guests? They would know their playground better where they might show us something that happened mm. behind a building. Or they might say, <laughs> or they might say, oh, we're right. in the gym in general, we'll follow you. The, the great thing is by the end, we, we tended to use the same crew um, but uh, Gary Russell was our, our uh, DOP and he would work with two other camera people, but we would often to use the same three for a bunch of episodes so they understood the ballet of it really right. and not crashing into each other. Yeah, that's good. But it was kind of nice when we interviewed people like Barry Cassidy just going, wow, you guys are great. This is really fast. I love mm. what you're doing. And you're like, thanks, Baz. Yeah. Barry Cassidy, for those overseas, is an extraordinary um, uh, journalist, uh, political reporter, now retired and used to be... Um, the ABC's chief political Yeah, and worked reporter. with Bob Hawke as his, one of our prime ministers, uh, as his oh, press secretary. Right, and then hosted a long running a uh, weekend morning mm. show called yeah. Insiders. Yeah. yeah so, it was, you know, when somebody's in the biz goes, wow, you guys are really fast and, like, and we're enjoying it and they're yeah. enjoying it. Yeah. It was I mean, I think what was clever and what worked about it and what I was terribly jealous of you for having nailed was an interview show that's not an interview show, right? Mm. That had, and I think a lot, of play, a lot of shows have done that since, have tried to, whether it's back roads or like there's a lot of, or even comedians in cars getting coffee. I mean, I don't think Jerry Seinfeld was necessarily inspired by you, but the con the concept of doing an interview show yeah. that's outside of the studio, yeah. that's basically located out in the real world. Mm. I'm trying to think of the next incarnation of that for me to do, but I can't figure out You'll what it, it is. You'll find it. But also too, we're taking them back to places that, I mean, as you would know, I don't know if your parents still live in your childhood home. 
Uh, no. No. So, and very few do. So of our 77 guests, I reckon, I mean, not even not even 10, I think, not even five maybe, had a childhood home to visit. Mm. Um, well, I mean, you take someone back to their childhood it's home. It's emotional. Oh, yeah. Maybe I need to do a show where I find children, take them to the home that they will live in in the future. <laughs> And wow them with sure. that. Maybe there's a show in really going to workplaces of the past. Mm. I didn't go to workplaces in But then general. they don't exist, do they? The workplaces of the past well, have been that's sh- reformed. Yeah, that's not, but maybe yeah. you do them up the way they used to be. Oh, that's my, no one. Okay, you know what you've just done there? You've just made budget problems. I've made the budget very yeah. expensive, oh, haven't yeah. I? Now, we now we've got set designers. outside the whole time. There was nothing to do. Yeah. You know. But didn't they? No, they did that whole the whole television show about where it's like you go back to the 1800s and it's like Australia was and you go into the, you know, and you see the way the metal working was being done. Well, that's where the budget went then. That's where the whole budget went. They yeah. didn't have any money for anything else. No. Yeah. And I mean, I knew it was going to end at some point. I didn't know when. We never know when our shows are going to end. With Rock Quiz, we never knew it was going to end. And, you know, years later, the Foxtel's gone, can we do it? And you go, oh, right, out of the blue. But with home delivery, it was in COVID when we were filming our 10 episodes and we only got eight done because it, we got shut down. And then we had a meeting with the ABC who make it or who um, commission it. And, you know, when you can just tell they're like, mm, yep. you know that feeling. Yeah, I do. And I said to them, you know what? I get it and it's fine, but can you tell us that it will be our last one and can we do a final show? Because mm. I find it really, I don't think it's great. I don't think it's a generous thing to not go, let's let them know when they're finished mm. so we can enjoy finishing it, we can end it. I said to them, I can go into publicity saying, I'm so proud of these 77 episodes. That's right. Do you know? You know Tucker Carlson uh, when he got fired by Lachlan Murdoch and, well, the Murdochs, but Lachlan's in charge. His Friday night show, there's a clip of it online. He's saying he's he's joking, he's bantering, he's like, I'll see you Monday. And he gets called into the boss's office. Yeah. It's not it's not a dignified way to end. Well also too, I mean, I don't think you can really be loyal to a station anymore. I think there was a time in I don't know, I guess any any country ha- can have it. But in Australia it felt like you only either were, you worked for one channel. You were part of a family. Correct. Hmm. And I realise now that's not true. And you're part of production company family. It's actually the production company. If even company. that, yeah. Well, I've been really lucky. The Rockwiz people and, and Home Delivery have been amazing. And um, and it's commun- you've got to communicate with them. And they're real people. They're good people. But I just think that um, I did flirt for a minute there with thinking, oh, there is loyalty to a station. I do feel part of this mm. family. No, I don't. It's interesting that you say that the meeting with the commissioning uh, director at the ABC was a bit like, Hmm, because I've also found that when they're not into it, it can go the other way. Like a lot of auditions that I've done, and Dad used to say this as well about acting auditions. You do the audition, they go, thanks so much, fabulous, great to see you, thanks so much for coming by, great job. You didn't get you didn't get it. Mm. But if they go, hmm, okay, thank, thank you, then they're thinking about you. Mm. What I on it. what I love about Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad's um, advice for actors it went around the internet for a while and I I'm, it's not that I got tickets on myself but I've always thought this he was like your job as an actor is not to go in there and plead for a job or seduce them whatever getting to a job it's just go in do the thing leave 
And I don't know what, instinctively I learnt, and, you know, we are making this podcast around the corner from Mulliners. It used to be a main place we'd all have to audition after acting school and all that. Um, I remember thinking, I don't like how auditioning makes me feel. So I think my solution is I'll, I'll always have something to do before and something to do after because I don't want it to be the main thing of the day. Mm. And if in this country you only audition you know, once or twice a week. Mm. I remember lovely friend Murray Bartlett, who now has an incredible career overseas. We did a short film together. If people don't know him, he was in White Lotus in the first season playing the uh, hotel manager. manager. Last of Us, he's in that episode too, and uh, in that show too. And um, Murray, when he first went to America and he was living in New York and he said, I'm not getting heaps of work, but I feel like a working actor because I'm auditioning all the time. Yeah. So I'm getting better at auditioning. Yeah. I'm getting stronger. I'm getting braver, more confident. So the whole audition thing, of course, they're going to smile and say, you're yeah. amazing. Never heard from them again. So I would just go... It'll be a happy accident if I get it, if I don't, you know. Funny about that anecdote about the pace of auditioning. It, it is trickier in a medium-sized market like Australia's. I remember going to New York when I first got an agent for television hosting and going to five or six auditions a day, every day for some pilot, for a reality show, some concept, for a, something or other, a corporate video, a new food show, whatever it might be. And you're right, it becomes just part of your life. It becomes that's what your job is. Your job is not booking the gig. Your job is going to the auditions. Mm. And, yeah, my agent also said the same thing. Like if the feedback is good and if you get callbacks, then that is the job. That's all it is. Because once once you're on the short list, then the reasons why they might go with you versus the other people on the short list almost always have nothing to do with you anyway. They have something to do with whatever the gender balance is going to be or mm. the whatever they want. You know, it, it's just, you weren't exactly the right jigsaw piece because mm. they've got a bunch of different jigsaw pieces. But you did come first in your jigsaw piece lane mm. and so you did win. the Like if you impressed them, then you won. I mean the reality too is it's the it's a, it's a is it the only job? I don't know. The only job where you have to do that regularly to get work. So if, I mean I part, part of me does believe if you're not built for that, then maybe it's not a great idea. Absolutely. You know, I just, I don't think you can sugarcoat an audition. I really don't think you can. You, you, and and I went to the Victorian College of the Arts for my acting training for three years. It's in Melbourne. Uh, and I always felt like they were very honest about, don't you wait for that phone to ring, make your own work, keep your connections, do other things. You've got to be self-sufficient in it. And mm. um, I quite liked the freedom of that. I quite liked the creativity of that. Now, if you're not getting any work, sure, not great. Mm. But then I might breaks my heart is how many friends I have who are performers who maybe should have stopped 10 years in and young, when they were still young enough to retrain and be because something else amazing because I think acting training prepares you for a bazillion great things. Yeah. So and and I think performing, unfortunately, is one of those jobs that if you choose to leave, people go, oh, did it not work out? And yeah. I just want to punch those people. Yes, agreed, agreed. But then there's also the counter case of the person, the friend who's now 55, who's driving Ubers and waiting tables but is actually an actor mm. and, you know, keeps saying, well, Nick Nolte got his break when he was 52 or something, you know. But if you can hang in there, fine. But it's when you can see that the person is starting to get beaten by it 
And I, I, I just want to be that friend that goes, let it go. Yeah. Fly away. Go and reinvent yourself. You are so good at so many. You're such a brilliant communicator. I'm not saying all actors are brilliant communicators, but a lot of them are. They're good listeners. They, they look at, they study people. They study character. And um, I don't know. I just think, I just think it's it's hard to give yourself permission to leave. Were you superstitious about auditions in any way? Mm. That uh, I've always had an antipathy, which I think I inherited from my dad, about talking about auditions. You know, it always rubs me the wrong way when people are like, you know, oh, I've got an audition for blah blah I'm like, stop talking. Don't tell me about the audition before you've done the audition. Yeah. It's just, that's the job. You go to the audition, you forget about it, you put the audition behind you. Yeah, I mean, It doesn't that... matter whether or not you get it or not. Yeah. The game is to keep going to the auditions and keep doing your craft. Like, don't tell me about this great thing that might happen. Wait until the ink is on, the, on the contract, oh. baby. Absolutely. I don't no. want to hear about it. It's not even superstition. It's more I don't want to get excited about something that might not happen. And, I mean, that's a self-protective thing, I guess, maybe, too. You go, I just want to protect myself and not be hurt in case I don't get it. But I remember I auditioned for a sketch comedy show here called Totally Full Frontal. It used to be Fast Forward, then Which Full you ended up doing. Yeah, yeah. And I did, we did the final, I did the final two years. And I went to the audition and you had to bring some characters and some impersonations. And I just really prepared and I even brought like a bag of like bits of costume. I'm so embarrassed now. But I, And I remember walking into the audition going, oh, no one else has a bag of kind of little props. But I thought, no, nah, fuck it. I'm going to mm. just do it. And I did the best audition ever. Like I was in there for half an hour. They were laughing. I did Yarn Event, I think, as a character. I don't know what, I can't remember what else I did as an as a, as a impression or whatever. And I and as I was leaving, one of the producers said, now, you know, you won't be able to, you won't be doing your own material. And I said, yeah, yeah, that's all right. I, I'm actually not known for it. I've written some for this, but, I, I, you know, and they went, no, we can't promise you your own material. I'm like, yeah, I know, I know. And it, we had this kind of weird sort of talk and I left going, I don't think I got that. And I right. rang my agent and said, I just did, I think, one of the best auditions I've ever done. I put a lot of work in. I don't think I'm going to get it. And I didn't, but I got it the year later. Right. So the homework had been done. And I Your little have bag to, of goodies worked yeah, eventually. Yeah, did you I have to re-audition? No. No. It was really nice. Interesting. But I didn't know that. So there's a dumb belief in yourself or a mm. dumb kind of, oh, I don't know. But also it's funny that you looked at the other auditioners and thought, well, why don't they have, am I the one who's out of place for having prepared better? You know? It's yeah. like I remember, yeah. I mean, give it everything you've got. I, I remember, know. you know, I remember having conversations with people who were like, well, I don't have a lot of time or effort to put into this audition, so I guess I'll, but I'll go anyway. I'm like, well, then make the time and effort. Mm. Stay up later. I remember, know. Dad was in a show. I keep talking about Dad. But, but can it, I just say how yeah. much I love your dad? Oh, thank you. I just adore him. I adore his work. I've seen his theatre work and... I mean, he's just a special one. Oh, that's he's nice. He's always been a Thank very special you. one. So I, he got a he. There was a there was a mini series of South Pacific with Harry Connick Jr. and Glenn Close, and there was a character of a lecherous French uh, baddie, bad guy. Yeah. And Dad went into the audience because it was shooting in you know somewhere in the South Pacific, mm. so they were casting all of the non-A-list uh, cast from Australia because it's easy to get them there and cheaper than casting American SAG, uh, paying SAG wages. And Dad went in and had I remember him going to the audition with a piece of uh, tin foil over one of his teeth Love to him. make him to make it look like he's got a silver missing tooth, right? And I thought. 
Why are you doing that? They're going to go for you on the basis of your performance, not on the basis of your look. They know that the makeup people are going to be able to do the look. But he got the job. You know, how many other people didn't show up with a lecherous silver tooth? But what it shows too is fun, character, playfulness, Mm. giving a red hot crack. Yeah. You know, I I think the more you can relax in an audition, the more fun you can have in an audition, the better. But have you ever been the reader opposite? No, I've never done that. Only only practising with friends. So a couple of friends of mine have done it and it's a revelation because they say people, a lot of people come in and seduce. They come in with the action to seduce everyone in the room. Now, it's true that performance is about charisma to a degree. And by seduce I mean charm. I'm not saying people are taking their pants off. But but that sort of charm, your best behaviour at any party or your best self and you – and not every role can be about that. Or do they do it to a degree and then they get into character and do whatever. And she said men often didn't know their lines, which I find infuriating. Mm. Women did. And the people that went in not caring, people loved they wanted to see them again because they hadn't given them quite enough. Mm. They were kind of mysterious. So, look, I'm not saying there's not game playing in auditioning. Of course there is. But I'll tell you this. I remember once going to Mulliner's around the corner to audition for Two Hands, the film, which is still, I think, one of the most glorious films of Heath Ledger's work, Rose Byrne's work. This was Rose's big break, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'd Heath Ledger's Heath big break too, as well. Actually, yeah. yeah. An Australian movie. Of yeah. Teenage romantic comedy. And, I guess. and crime. Like, crime. No, no, no. Ooh, no Wasn't comedy. It? No, oh, no, no. Maybe crime. I, I think I was a young child when Horror. this movie came yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, crime. Really? No, as, as in desperate people doing desperate things. Yeah, and right. um, you get a vision of. Bondi, which is very different, and it's it's a great movie. I, okay, have a look I'll at go it back again. And see it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Anyway, I auditioned for the sister in that, the older sister, the beautiful Susie Porter got, and she was amazing. Um, love Susie, love Susie. But um, I was waiting to go in, and Ben Mendelsohn turned up to audition for one of the characters, one of the leads, the older brother. And I didn't know him very well. I was like, hello, hello. He was a famous actor at the time. Mm, yes, yeah, he would have done some stuff, definitely. Uh, and then he disappeared into the bathroom and he came back and he had kind of makeup and mud, something looked like mud all over his face. Now, the role was of the older brother who is, spoiler alert, dead and talks from under the ground, from under the grave. And he did it. Now, he didn't get the role, but I just thought, well, if Ben Mendelsohn can put yes. mud all over his face to go in to prove something and get in there, mm. well, I can take my little bag of props. Hops. I like it. And the, on the question of sort of, uh, you know, whether or not you want, you come in with an energy of wanting the job mm. and trying to seduce them and hoping that you get it and so on versus having the fuck you energy of like, I don't need this. I also remember an adage that I always found helpful, which was, you know, people go into auditions thinking that the people who are they're auditioning for have all the power and that they don't. But actually... You have the power because they have a problem, which is that they haven't cast this role yet. Yes. And they are looking for every opportunity to find a great person to fill the role. Yeah. You do stand to lose nothing because you already don't have the job. So you're a you know, you're at a zero sum level anyway. Worst mm. thing that can happen is you revert back to the position you're in before the audition, which mm. is fine. Whereas they're the ones who actually, if they can't fill this role, mm. end up with a show without a without a good performance in mm. it. So have the mindset that you're coming in to solve their problem. And make it like 
fun's not the right word, but like be prepared and do the work so that when you go in there, it's easy. Yeah. Like don't – I would often think about what will the room look like. I'd sometimes go through different scenarios in my head and go, what if there's three people? What if the director isn't there? What if he is there? Or he – look at me saying he. Um, you know what I mean? Like try and uh, – if you imagine different scenarios, you might not be as surprised or disappointed or whatever. But look, it's, it's a high-risk – I mean, one of the problems with having fun is that casting agents relentlessly send you huge uh, sheets full of sides at 8 p.m. Mm. the day before the yeah, audition. Uh, well, you have to, like, just send it five days before. Oh, I mean, but everything happens at 5 p.m. before everyone goes home now. It drives me insane. You it's get so it stupid. They're like, don't worry about it. You don't have to learn all the, all the words. And you're like, yeah, but to be relaxed and have fun, I do need to know the course. words so that I'm not thinking about the words. Of I course. know you don't care if I say the wrong word, mm. but I will be caring about whether I say the wrong word because I won't know what the word is. But also I would say it's just a disrespect for what we're expected to do when totally. we go in there. Sorry. I mean, I, you know, I've gone into castings where there's just the woman who's the casting person and she's acting opposite you and she is terrible. You sort of want to go, oh, can I find a friend and bring them in? They literally live up the road. You are you're not even trying. Yeah. Because, hey, guess what? You're not an actor. Who yeah. are you? If you're not going to pay for someone, you're going to give someone amazing two days' work of pay mm. to be reader opposite you. I mean, the disrespect, how am I supposed to take it seriously if you're not? It really, and I think that is also another thing that starts to burn people in, I mean, it's what they've been, you know, striking for at SAG. It's a bit like, you need us, but you don't treat us very well, or you don't keep up with the times. What will AI mean? What does it all mean? You know, in terms of the, you know our image and our words and our all that, our voice. Our it's I don't know. It's just, and sometimes I think acting can be one of those jobs where you start to go. If I had done any other gig for twenty years, I'd be maybe better regarded in my job or in my world. Maybe I'd be higher up, whatever that means. You don't want to keep doing it because it makes you feel shit about yourself. Mm. I want a downer. You Hi everyone, this conversation welcome down. to uncomfortable conversations with Josh Zips. <laughs> Your name and our, my name's almost the same. So it's got similar. A J and a Z in it. I love it. It's rare. We should have got married and been Julia <sighs> Zamiro's Epps. Oh, <laughs> Josh Zamiro's Epps. <gasps> That's a good one. Isn't that good, Josh Julia? That's Julia, a mouthful. Julia, I like Julia, it. Josh Zamiro's yeah, Epps. Awesome. Pardon the interruption. I just want to tell you about a video uh, that I want you to check out. It features the one and only Chuck Norris. You remember Chuck Norris? The man's in his 80s, and, uh, you know, I'm no spring chicken. Nonetheless, I care about my health. I want to live a long time. I want to, uh, want to be healthy. I don't always get as many fruits and vegetables and herbs that are supposed to increase my energy levels in my own diet. So I saw this video that Chuck Norris has made. He's kicking butt. He's uh, working out. He's staying active. He has heaps of energy left over for his grandkids and so on. And he says that he, he is achieving all this by making one single change and he feels like he's in his 50s go to mymorningkick.com slash josh and watch chuck norris's video right now that's mymorningkick.com slash josh m-y-m-o-r-n-i-n-g-k-i-c-k.com slash josh you did a lot of improv as well as acting, which is another I did. thing. Yeah, I mean, presumably that's the one of the facilitators of having a 
spontaneous attitude towards both auditioning and then actually doing the callback and nailing it for various shows. Completely. You know, theatre sports, which is not the only form of improvisation, of course, but in, in it's Sydney. the most popular in Australia, yeah, I would say. Yeah, and in it's Sydney. Short, for American listeners, it's short form. Americans look down on a bit, I think. Uh, of course they do. And, yeah. and I understand because I'm it's sick a bit of gag, it too. It's gaggy short form sure. improv. Like, here's a song about mm. the thing that you've just suggested. But, I mean, you know, initially those they were, they were scene-based, game-based, ways of doing short scenes in short amount, short amount of time, in a short amount of time to explore different things. And it's then, whose line is it anyway? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's say it's whose line. And... But for a while there in Sydney, it was pretty big. I mean, I remember doing a grand final at the Opera House in the concert hall. Wow. That's how big it was. Packed. Wow. I did one at Belvoir. Oh, yeah. With Adam Spencer and... Fun. Yeah. Yeah, so Ed I... Ed Cavalier and me. Yeah. Rob Carlton? Rob Carlton was there. Yeah. He was our improv mentor. Yeah. And Ed Cavalier and uh, Rachel Corbett and I were on a, were a trio. Oh. And Rob was our... Look, I, light. I learned Love a lot. I, I learned so much improvising and you meet great people and, and I really think that learning all those principles of saying yes, et cetera, um, are great. And I, I, it is no – I'm absolutely certain that the confidence I have as a host has come from waitressing mm. many years and from improv. And, and I think a good interviewer is an improviser because you have to shut up and listen. You know, they say that when you're in a scene with someone, when you're improvising, and I actually prefer long long form, I love long form, but, you know, all you need is what you have in front of you. So you've got an actor in front of you, what they're wearing, what they do. You can do anything. There's no nothing to be frightened of, you know, um, whereas people try and invent stuff that's not mm. there, you know. But um, I, uh, my favourite show was a show called Spontaneous Broadway, that, uh, where you present as a character, so you do come on as a character, and the premise of the show is that you're these out-of-work actors, so I, I was a kind of a non-genou, uh, and you've got a little story to come out and tell in a funny way, so you're a character, but then the audience writes titles of songs that come from musicals that haven't been written, <laughs> and you find one that you like and you get up and you don't tell them what the title is yet, but you backstory it and go, well, of course, this is from the musical whatever, and you make it up. And then the gag or the kind of reveal is what you'll say. You'll say, I'm going to do this song about whatever and it's set in this country and blah, blah, blah. And then you give the reveal of the title and hopefully it's funny. And, you've, you know, you've been off stage looking at it a bit. You've got a bit of time. And then you improvise the song. So you say to, to the musician, beautiful John Thorne was our musician, you say, Johnny, I think it's something in a kind of a blues style. And he'd start something and go, but from Germany, <laughs> in a minor key. Thank you, Johnny. And he'd play that and you'd be there and you get to improvise your song and we all would do one each um, there's like four of us and then the audience would vote on which full musical they'd like to see in the second half and then you'd improvise the whole musical now Fabulous. when it worked it was delicious when it didn't work it was meh it was yeah. okay yeah but it was never shit yeah you know because yeah you just have fun and we it's had these ridiculous. characters to fall back on a bit and stuff but I miss that show immensely. That was, we did it in Edinburgh Fringe. I mean, we barely had anyone come, you know, because there's only 9,000 shows there. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, we did it for a long time in Melbourne and, and at the Opera House in Sydney. It was great. On the point of, uh, you know, having everything that you need right in front of you in improv and, uh, you know, just listening and that sort of skill, I was – when I was in New York, I did – I was invited to do – to be the monologist at ASCAT, which ASCAT is the long-running um, – 
uh, Upright Citizens Brigade uh, thing where the Saturday Night Live guys will do uh, a long-form, a Harold, basically. A Harold, right? I a love Harold, a Harold is a form yeah. of long-form improv. And these are the guys who basically created it in conjunction with Second City in Chicago. And it starts with a minor celebrity or friend of the show coming on and telling uh, an anecdote uh, from their life about something that someone has, Someone gives a prompt. People give a few prompts from the audience and that's supposed to spark something. And you tell a four or five minute story and then the subsequent hour long show is based on your story, right? And uh, so someone was a fan of a show that I, the show that I was doing in New York, the TV show on HuffPost Live. I was invited to do it. And Amy Poehler was one of the, uh, who was one of the founding principles of Upright Citizens Brigade was one of the performers and she comes up to me before the show. Of course, I'm so totally starstruck because I love Amy Poehler. Of course you do. And uh, she says, have you got a monologue in mind and in, in the green room? And I was like, mm. uh, I mean, I've got a few ideas. And she was like, forget them. Don't, don't. It never works. She was like, just empty your mind and just listen to the, uh, to the prompts. And it's such a good piece of advice. Mm. You go out there. People give you, you know, three people give you three words. And even if it takes you like 20 seconds to kind of let them sink in and come up with something, that's fine. An yeah. audience can sit there for 20 seconds. Yes. They can look at you doing nothing. That's yeah. all right. Yeah. People are patient. Yeah. You know, have faith that your little noggin's going to make some kind of connection and come up with something. Mm. The good thing is the monologue doesn't have to be hilarious. It can just be mildly amusing. Yeah. And then it's their job to do the funny stuff. But the sort of the audacity of allowing yourself to be in a space of total receptiveness and blankness and that that's actually the pathway to great content rather than trying proactively to generate great content is a kind of paradox, is the beauty, beautiful paradox of improv. And also, too, the audacity to allow yourself to be on stage and go, I don't have to be funny, I don't have to do anything, and you know what? The audience doesn't need it either. Mm. They will be watched. Allow yourself to be watched. Yeah. And, yeah, I feel, I love that feeling in an audience when you can see them. They're there for that. They're not afraid. They don't need it all. They don't need that sort of constant tickling all the time. Yeah. There was a, a team when I was playing theatre sports in Sydney called Once in a Lifetime, Brett Wood, Baron Schwert, Murray Fay, and they would be funny sometimes, you know, but every now and then they had the guts to go serious, to go esoteric, to go weird. I mean, it would take your breath away because they just listened to each other, looked at each other and didn't panic wow, there's a lot of panicking on stage sometimes mm. in improv. Fun too. Good to see a good old panic on stage. It can stage. be deadly though, can't yeah. it? Because then the audience starts to think, oh, no, yeah. oh, no. But you don't want pity. No, but that's what makes the audience realise that this is high stakes. Mm. That sometimes actually to allow yourself to be watched, to allow yourself to listen and try and build something is the risk. And sometimes it doesn't work and that's where you fail happily. Yeah. You go, oh, well, we'll be back. Yeah, that's right. But the audience won't necessarily. Well, they will because you might do it two or three times. I mean, usually you get a couple of goes during a night. You only don't get oh, one shot saying. at it, yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So the audience will go, oh, he kind of couldn't do it that first time, but wow, by the end he really knew what he was doing. And sure, there's always moments in the foyer where people are going, you weren't very good at the beginning. You're like, oh, you don't get it. Mm. But, mm. you know, it's trying to explain anyone a to anyone a performance what you've just done on stage and yeah, it's always yeah. like something. And that's all right. Sometimes it isn't great as well. Yeah. Which it, is fine. Life, which yeah, is life, that's right? that's life, yeah. Um, have you um, 
this is off topic, but have you heard Amy Poehler's new podcast? No. Say more. No. It's basically an Esther Perel. <laughs> oh my god! And right. it is with with improvisers. Wow. They improvise it, and it is absolutely <laughs> the most delicious sound. Does she show. put on an Esther Perel? No, accent? no, no. She's American. That would okay. be too much. Right. But she's always say more about that, and uh, that you have to call the doctor with a question mark because she might not be. Doctor, um, look, I won't spoil it for you. Oh, just don't. enjoy. It's, I will hear. I will and improvising to it. geniuses just in conversation around a table like this, just improvising. Right. And it's heaven on a stick. I love it. I can't wait to hear it. The first time I ever heard Esther Perel, uh, she's a relationships therapist uh, um, for people who don't know her. It was a clip, and it was uh, it was a guy who had cheated on his wife, and uh, he was saying. Um, you know, I mean, I just feel like, you know, that was, that was we've been together 17 years and that was one time. But, you know, I don't get counted for all the times I didn't do it. <laughs> and the first words I ever heard Esther Perel say were, okay, here's what's going to happen right now. You're going to shut the fuck up. <laughs> she didn't. She did. You're going to stop talking right now. Not, but not in a German accent, I should have meant. She's more well, French. She's Israeli, no, no. isn't she? No, she's from Belgium. Is she? Yeah. She doesn't have a French accent, though. Well, yes, she does. It's very little... strong. I met her. I really? met her when she was here. It's very strong. Well, maybe I need to listen more to yeah, more Esther Perel. Yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, I was addicted to Esther Perel. I listened to all of it. I loved it. Really? Because she just... Cause she's very a, straight. Because it's only one session. One session. She gets in there. And they're great. They're great. So basically it's an actual recording of her real couples therapy. Yeah, her way to do it. They're not secretly taped. No. (laughs) (laughs) They were probably in in breach of several several codes. You mean we were on camera? No, it's not camera. It's all recorded. It's all audio. But, oh, no, I think she's great. I think what she does is fantastic. But um, Amy Poehler with her absolute laser... Laser comic observation. Fabulous. And so coming back to home delivery, then you did you they so they told you it was going to be the last season, and then your last guest on home delivery was yourself. Oh, it's hideous. Was it a bit? How did you do it? How did you came up with this harebrained scheme? I didn't. I you know they were like, have you ever? Would you ever think of doing it? You know, back at episode twenty, never thinking it would end. Yeah. And then when it was ending, they're like. We should do it. And I said, yeah, but I mean, if Russell Crowe all of a sudden said yes, we'd do him, wouldn't we? Mm. We wouldn't do me. Anyway, Russell didn't say yes. Um, (laughs) Russell. Russell. Um, Look, I guess it was an interesting exercise to do and um, I had some lovely interviewers who are on the channel that we work on and, for example, um, Mark Humphreys, who is a comedian, a political kind of comedian on ABC, he speaks French, and so part of me wanted to speak French with him at the school I went to. I went mm. to a French primary school in Australia, and but we kind of lost our way, and I didn't speak enough French, and because it was hard for them to direct it and know what was going on, and I was going to subtitle it all, and I was just wanted that whole thing to be in French, and it didn't quite work out that way. Um, but also, I don't want everybody to know a lot about me in the world. I just don't. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't. I don't do lots of interviews. I've never, I've never invited people into my home. Um, initially, because I just think, uh, because I don't think, I don't think this idea that if you're in the public eye, you should share a lot about yourself. Sure, but then it's gone. It's just gone. It's like it's like it's like junk food. It's gone. I don't want it to go. But then 
in the last, because the thing is I was well known before internet and social media and all that. So I don't need to use it. I don't want to be on it. I don't particularly want to entertain it. And now even more, it's like, oh, my God, the less it's out there, the better. Mm. Jesus. Do you dislike the idea of being, of there existing this avatar of Julia Zemiro, which is the, you know, which people have all kinds of assumptions about that it doesn't necessarily map onto the real Julia Zemiro? Is that it? Well, I mean, at least with the home delivery, I felt like I at least was had a little bit of not control, but it's your whatever your whatever's coming out of your mouth. You right. Can trust, but what I mean right? is, then some critic takes one thing that you sure. said, they take it out of context, they're critical about it. Well, again, it, don't be a performer. Things. Sure, don't be a performer. You know, or in the public eye, then you go, oh well, maybe that was always going to happen. Sure, but um, but I think you could control it. I think you can choose to not do, do you? things. I don't think you can control it. I mean, well, you might be. Able, one can control it by. Well, being, just don't talk. Don't get interviewed. That's right. But that's anodyne. Why? Well, I mean, put it this way: you could just no, yes. If you all you do is say no to interviews, then that's not anodyne. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're talking about something and all you're ever doing is is having your mind be on a loop of is what I'm about to say potentially take could be taken out of context. And is yeah. this going to get me in trouble? No, it's not that. It's more that um, there are other people in your life who've chosen not to be involved in right. what you do. And I just think – I actually think privacy is quite a lovely thing, mm. actually. Yes. And um, I think sometimes – I sometimes think I, – I, I don't ask people enough about what's going on in their private life because I kind of think it's private. But, of course, we live in a world people are like, ask me. Mm. <laughs> Let me tell you. What's happening in my life, you know. Um, and I'm a good listener. Like, I'll listen. But I just think you want to do interviews with people that you think you'll get. Like, I'm doing this because I think you're fun. Oh, that's and, nice. and I enjoy Thank listening you. to your show every day. No, I really do enjoy oh, listening to great. it. Oh, that's great. What should I do better? We can make this a therapy session oh, great, about okay. me. Less Billy Joel. It's really my only note. <laughs> It's my only night. I don't choose the song as list. As if. I choose the song out of the song list. As if. That is given to me. So Billy Joel happens to be there every time? Billy Joel happens to be there sometimes. I'm delighted. I love him too. I'm sometimes. not saying. But it really does give me the giggles. I have I've noticed I've even texted lately, your producer and gone, he really loves Billy Joel, doesn't he? Sometimes it's a choice between uh, like, you know, we're really scraping the bottom sure. of the barrel. Okay, sometimes yeah. I'll have hmm. uh, Neil Diamond, sure. uh, Billy Joel. Sure. Uh, uh, Gina Lola Brigida. I don't know who that is. Really? Uh, she doesn't and then, sing. And then I'll and then it'll be Will Billy Joel, obviously. Sure, of course, of uh, course. Piano man. No, he's not. And and look, sure, you can do that whole. I mean, you could play New York State of Mind a bit more. Yeah, but that's probably not on the list. It's not on the list. Yeah, it doesn't see. come in. Who's arranging this list? What team Where of monkeys do they have oh, typing away know. on a million typewriters oh. producing the list? And also this thing of oh, we, people don't want to hear music on the hour. Yeah, they do. I don't mind sure. a song an hour. Why not? That's fine. One an hour is good. Maybe two. I'd go two. Two would be great. Yeah. Two gives me more time off. I mean, I have friends who work on oh. commercial radio stations. Tell me about it. Who earn literally ten times what I earn and they, they play five songs an hour and they have four ad breaks they're doing a grand total of 12 minutes of content per hour. But, I'm doing 55 minutes an hour. But but here's the thing. So I did commercial radio for two years with the beautiful Jonathan Coleman, who is no longer with oh, us, my Jono. beautiful Jono, and discovered exactly what you're saying. Oh, my God, we're here for a two-hour shift and we literally talk for 20 minutes if we're lucky. Yeah. And then I covered once for ABC Radio for two weeks where, like you say, you're literally doing 50 minutes an hour. Well, which is the more interesting? Which is the more fun? 
Well, Which is the more engaging? Yes. Give me the two. Mine is more interesting and exhausting. Crimea River. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when, when did you come to national because you were doing your acting and you were doing your improv and you were sure. a professional theatrical you know you were doing Shakespeare and shit right in high schools okay in high, that's still a job and it's oh still my a god job. $800 a week in my bank every week I couldn't absolutely. believe it absolutely more than the ABC will pay you sure. and then uh, was it Good News Week where you actually that was a panel show yeah. based on Have I Got News For You yeah. which is a British panel show, although it wasn't based on it because I think they got sued for not paying, uh, you know, intellectual property and whatnot. But it was it was wildly popular yeah. uh, when I was growing up. I guess in the 90s. Yeah. Is that the era? I got a go on it and I was very unknown and that's thanks to Ted Robinson, who's a wonderful theatre director, uh, uh, TV director here. His wife, Anne Robinson, was an agent or worked in, a, in casting and she got me the gig she'd get me in, which was really nice. But... um. It's just, it's been a real up and down. You know, you'd get Bell Shakespeare in schools, Good News Week, nothing. Then it'd go up again and you might get um, uh, ads. For for 10 years I did one big ad a year. Mm. And then, and that was just great money in the bank. Like, oh, thank God, you know, that's that for six months. And then a waitress and then you don't do Totally Full Frontal and then nothing, 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 like years. And then I walked away from performance and went teaching English as a second language overseas and just did other things and then thought, oh, who am I kidding? I just needed a big break. I'll come home. I'll do it. But I had to move to Melbourne to get that work. And it was the Rockwiz audition. That's the, that's really that, then Eurovision, then home delivery. You know, they just built on each other. I did a play. I haven't done that many plays. I'm someone who likes to do something once and then go, do I need to do another quiz show ever again? No. <laughs> do I need to do a musical ever again? No, I've done one. Do I ever need to do it? You know, you kind of – and that's why I'm saying I'm starting to get a tiny bit – a tiny bit like everything – I feel like I've done ev- – not done everything, but I know how my job that I do works. So now I want to, you know, without sounding like – I mean – but it is my third act coming up. I mean, face it, I'm 56 and it'll, before I know it, I'll be 60 and what, you've got 20 good summers left, left if you're lucky? Oh, it's uh, worrying when you put it like that, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And so I, I go, well, what else would you do? You have a certain amount of influence now. I'm very, I'm very taken by what Sarah Wilson's done and you've interviewed her on this show. Love Sarah. Uh, and she's maybe spoken to you on hers. Yeah, uh, it was actually the same episode. We yes, did a crossover pod. It, she released it on it. hers, I released it on mine. It was just great. And she's really, I just love how she thinks and she's really put herself out there. And I, I'm just um, I'm just interested in how other people are doing different things. And so at, for the moment, while I have a little bit of a following influence, whatever you want to call it, what can I do with it? Why don't you do one of these? Yes. Yes. She I, says I'm, as a pall of exhaustion washes I, over her face. I don't really want to talk. the very thought mm, of it. Yeah. I feel like I've interviewed so many people now, Josh. There's I'm just, still more. Lots of people. There's like eight billion. <laughs> I mean, I was interested in doing a home delivery with people that weren't famous. Yeah, that'd be great. No. Maybe that could be my show. That could be your show. I, because there are people out there doing extraordinary things. And you'll find them. You know what I mean? You'll find them. So, uh, but the ABC said no to that. Well, not that I officially pitched it, but I used to say it all the time. So, I don't know. I'm just, I'm taking a little bit of time off and having you think about what that might be and what it looks like. And it doesn't mean I'll never perform again, but it's just, I'm not getting the kick out of it like I used to. And it doesn't, not that you have to get a kick out of everything that you do, but I... 
it's not challenging or something. I don't know. I don't know. And when you're feeling this kind of, oh, un- un- uneasy and you want to move around a bit, I think you should listen to it and kind of figure it out. What would be challenging? Um, applying myself to learning something new maybe. Um, I don't know what that is. I look to people... I mean, not directly Sam Elson necessarily, who runs a thing called uh, a company called Seaforest, but basically he was in fashion for a long time. I mean, obviously interested in the world. He goes to listen to one talk, I think it was Tim Flannery, talking about seaweed and a kind of seaweed that can take methane out of a cow's burps. Oh, yeah. To minimise. about this. Five years later, he's doing it and he's got this... He's the cow burp seaweed guy. Yeah, Sea Forest Farm in Tasmania. And I was at an event, hosting an event, and I had to interview him. And just talking to him afterwards, you know, at one point he says, you know, I didn't understand what I was doing for a lot of it. And I guess I'm afraid of being in that area, that moment, that place where you're not quite sure what you're doing. Mm. You know, we get to a point when you get good at what you do, you're like, I only like to do things. I know what I can do. Yeah. I'm in my zone. So he would say scientists were very generous with their time, but they were talking to me like I was an equal. I'd yeah. be writing things down like, and then going home. I don't home. know what yeah. cow burps are made of. Yeah, and looking, them, looking it up. And it didn't stop him because for him it was an exciting thing to do. You know, it really was a new... You, and I'm not saying it's it's that necessarily. I don't know what it is. I think it could be an education maybe. Mm. Um, it could be the environment. But um, I don't know. But I just think um, it would be exciting to find the thing that is propelling you in a different way and using the skills you have as a good communicator. I mean, surely by now what it is that you have or I have is a sense of making people feel at ease and comfortable and and uh, listen and, I don't know, heard, you know, whatever, and then action. How do you take action for that next thing? So I'm like I, at the moment I'm sort of just doing listening and market research and listened a lot to your podcast and Sarah's and, and talking to people like Sam and and uh, and finding those people to have a chat. That's great. Mm. So if, if he's turning cow burps into seaweed mm. – well, no, he's giving the cows seaweed. He's giving so the, that, that he's re- turning it, seaweed into methane he's through turning, a cow. No, he's he's making. There's less methane now in their burps because he's feeding them seaweed. Yeah, and, and you can it can be as simple as a salt lick. They can wow. just go, and, and then there's no more methane coming yeah, out. Yeah, it's and I'm, and what's fascinating about that is it's nature solving a problem in nature. Right, I find that quite fascinating. I That's, think hmm. you should set your mind. <laughs> To stopping yeah. uh, kangaroos from shitting so much, sure, by feeding them uh, stodgy food. I'm just thinking, yeah, no. feeding yeah. them something that makes them no. constipated. So, I, science wasn't my wasn't my best as you subject. can tell. It was definitely mine. Yeah, yeah. Wow, you're like a, a regular. I'm a biologist professor. In, yeah, um, in yeah, I don't know what it would be. Education interests me. Kids interests me. That's good. Teaching adults interests me too. Used to teach adults improv. You know, you, what I love is when people discover things about themselves too. You know, people are Australians are really a funny. We're still very shy. We won't speak up. Oh, totally. Oh my god! It's even funny. at an event, you kind mm. of going. I'm interviewing someone you adore, and you're barely making any noise. Mm. I mean, it's it's people are funny, and they really. They really won't give themselves permission to speak up, and I just think it's silly. It's a very Aussie thing, isn't it? It's infuriating. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's yeah. one thing I liked about improv, though, 
because I, I, I did a bit of stand-up in New York as well, as, along with improv. And, you know, in improv, I do think, feel like the crowd is on your side from the get-go. They're like, come on, you can do it. Yep. Make me laugh. And with stand-up, everyone's going, everyone's just sitting there going, all right, make me laugh. I hate it. Make me laugh, monkey boy. Do it. your dance. I've never done stand-up. I don't know how you did it. What was, your, what was your shtick? What was your area? Everything that I thought was uh, in- interesting or funny. I mean, quite a lot about being an Australian in America yep. and noticing things over there. I had bits about Fahrenheit and, uh, you know, whatever else yeah. was, you know, interesting. Fish out of water stuff. About, you know, at the time about the religious right who were all going crazy about gay people. I had a bit about, uh, you know, them caring a lot less about uh, eating crustaceans than they do about, you know, which is also forbidden in, yep, the, in yep. the Old Testament mm. than they do about I gay mean, people. so good, the crustaceans. Yeah, they're it's very good. gay but people. They don't... They're really good too. Yeah, exactly. So they good. all are. And uh, you don't, yeah, you don't hear people get quite so hot under the collar about their children coming out as crustacean munchers. Anyway. I uh, just feel like stand-up is so, it's like a, it's so combative. It's like lamb to the slaughter kind of thing. Whereas with improv, you're in a team. Also, I never played sport at school. Right. Why? This was your sport. I can't. This was my sport. <laughs> but in, in my interested in what you were saying about not wanting to be really in the public eye and being, and like liking privacy, because when, I mean, now you are, you must get recognised all yeah, the but time. I don't. I don't say, "Hey, come into my home. We'll do a photo shoot where I'm wearing white." But <laughs> and I've had a nude <laughs> pedicure because that's natural, right? Well, and so I've when never you done s- a black and white photo spread nude. I kind of would like to probably. If I'm honest that's with the, myself. There's your next step. That's, do you think that's yep, my next thing? I think so. You know what I mean? Like it's like they ask you, you just go no. And if they get annoyed, you go, "It'll be fine." So fame doesn't bother you. Self-absorption it's, does. Yeah, and it's really time-consuming. And I don't I don't love having to put on – because often in those photo shoots they make you wear clothes you would never wear no. in a million years. No. but when you And so when you started getting famous, when Good News Week happened and people first started going, oh, you were on TV last night, that mm. wasn't that wasn't bothersome? No, that's lovely because it's just in the moment on the street. You're in, I'm in my normal clothes. I'm just like, hello. Mm. And it's also a great opportunity to find – it's like, you know, with Rock Quiz, it was all men in their 50s coming up to me. Interesting. That's my core demographic. Right. When I was 38. Yeah. And then when I started doing home delivery, women in their 40s. Right. And that was interesting to me. When a demographic comes up, and I've just done this um, 10-part show called Great Australian Walks on SBS, and that's a real mix of people. But then Fisk, this comedy show I've done with my beautiful friend Kitty Flanagan, um, old, young, and children. Yeah. It's just across the thing. So... As the makers of content, you want to go and say to heads of production teams and all that, you go, you don't think, you don't know what people like. Mm. You really don't. No. And you don't, you make something and you hope when it floats, people will like it. And, but, um, oh, trying to persuade network executives. <sighs> I mean, you know, not calling out any particular networks here because that's all the same. But I mean, especially in the commercial world, it is like getting my children to eat. Broccoli, you know, it's like I know that it's good for them, and I know what's going to work. Uh, but yeah, I just have to find an entertaining way to smother it in honey or something and shove it in because I know it'll be good. But you have to articulate it in such a way that their puny brains will be be able to comprehend it, especially if it's quite different from anything that's on, because they'll go, "Yeah, we don't really do," you know, or we did something like that, you know, a couple of years ago and didn't really work. Well, no, 
it wasn't like this. It wow. was, you know, ba- vaguely the same mm. area, mm. but you're you're coming at this. I mean, I think this is also somewhat an Australian thing where we are somewhat a culture of no. We like to look for the no in but Australia. Al- but also too, do you not think we are making more creatives than our industry can sustain? We think we're like America or England. You know, France makes more films than we do yeah. on TV. Denmark does. Heaps. I mean, the thing is we think that we can sustain. You can't keep churning out 30 new actors out of each acting school. That's 100 actors a year from, say, just the three main ones, it's whatever they are. a lot of future are. Uber drivers. Exactly. But, and, and there was a time when you didn't have to go to Hollywood. Well, now they are all going there yeah. for pilot season. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, it's absolutely an option. But... You know, all the local TV shows we used to have where you could learn how to do your craft, mm. gone. True, but there's also, I mean, there's a, there is a, a, an, a cautiousness and a conservatism, yeah. especially given what's changing in yeah. television, you know, with the rise of streaming and so on, that they know that the bread and butter is sports and reality <sighs> TV and anything that's not that, it really needs a strong raison d'etre and it can't be, yeah. uh, it can't be too similar to something that might not have worked. It can't be too out there. And as soon as this thing that you make, oh, it's rating. Mm. Oh well, we love you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when I just want to. Yeah, and that's when I turn to people and I have quite honest conversations and go, "You are kidding me, aren't you? You thought this would not work. You were making me feel like it wouldn't work, Mm. and it has worked. Yeah, and I just wish I wish the the powers that be would not be so um, self involved in their own kind of keeping the job and and their own good taste or opinion or knowledge when you don't know it either. You don't know if this will work either. Take mm. a chance. No one takes a chance. No one wants to really take a chance in anything. No. And and that's a shame. If we had more a culture of failing and, and, you know, not getting it right all the time, it'd be lovely. But, you know, it'll cost money and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's also just like where are you sort of pitching yourself? I do. I did find in the United States that there was more of a culture of yes, that they, they, they were pitching themselves yes, yes. from a preconception of like you come up with an idea yeah. of like, oh, how about this thing? And their initial instinct is always going to be, oh, that's cool. I, you know, I know this other person yeah. who also is interested in that kind of thing. Maybe you should too should yeah. uh, get a drink and see yeah. if there's something can happen. You know, tell, let me know how it goes. Let me know if I can be help, of help. Mm. That's the initial go-to for people in the industry over there. And the mm. people in the industry here, I think it's usually like, well. <laughs> <laughs> and there's nothing more exciting than a, well. Well. Hmm. <laughs> Oh, you're killing mm. me with your enthusiasm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. right. Uh, lastly, uh, do you have any insights about Europe? I mean, given that you are a, a Europhile and European and are straddling these two continents, is there anything that uh, that strikes you about either the nature of the people or the nature of the work in Australia versus France? Um, hmm. Well, having not been there in a long time because I can't fly or won't fly, okay, <laughs> I'll change that. Oh, look, all can't I... fly, won't fly. A new show. Julia Zamiro's Can't Fly, Won't Fly. She just sits in a room. <laughs> <laughs> it's Julia Zamiro sitting at home. Yeah, and someone reading, comes in and says, are and you going to fly today? And I yeah, go, no, go, can't no. fly, won't fly. Yeah. And that's it. It that's ends. It. Two minutes. It's a two-minute show. Look all, look, all I know is, you know, for me, Europe, when I think of Europe, I really do think of my time at Eurovision. And um, what I used to love was this weird competition that everyone said wasn't political and often was 
Um, Who said it wasn't political? Everyone. Uh, <laughs> the denial within that, but just the joy of going to, you know, Malmö or Stockholm or Moscow or Baku in Azerbaijan or oh. Oslo or hmm, one year when it was in Germany, we went, great, we're going to Berlin and we went to, was it Dusseldorf, I think? Could have been. Boo. You could tell me anything. But... Um, as putting as on this ridiculous show and being in these amazing rooms, these media rooms where you could hear no English. Oh, my God. I was a pig in shit. I yeah, loved it. Yeah. No English and just hearing the crazy songs when they were still in their languages and uh, meeting lots of different people and it was the happiest place in the world. And so did you go to the Ukraine year? Did you go to the one which no, Ukraine held? No, we didn't. No. We didn't. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's. We don't need to get into that after no, we've I mean, had such a lovely conversation. And you did say lastly. But, I did um, say lastly. It's a, it's a big question. But, um, you know. <laughs> In the, the final three minutes of the show, yeah. let's discuss the geopolitics of, of uh, Vladimir of Putin's Europe. strategy in Central Europe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just love that Zelensky was a, an actor and a comedian and there ended up being the president. Yeah. And, and you kind of go, maybe we need more people with real jobs Getting into politics, I think, you know, it's probably one of the reasons, you know, I quite enjoyed, I did quite a bit of stuff with the independent candidates leading up to the last federal election because I wanted to know who they were. And it turns out that a GP, a former captain of a rugby union team, a, um, a surgeon for kids, um, a foreign correspondent, uh, a midwife, actually having had these jobs in the world with real people, end up sort of having really great ways of communicating with others and making decisions happen. Mm. And so, yeah, I, look, I don't know much about the industry over there, but if Call My Agent, which oh, is such a great show, love it. if I could so be in good. that show. Well, wow. here's the final, true final thing. I mean, you were saying you're looking for your next chapter and that what politics need is people who haven't been traditionally politicians, mm. so maybe you could run for office. Look, I did think about that. No, I mean, th thought about it. Why not? But um, it's a certain, it's another kind of level of um, fame and people wanting something from you that I just need a little bit of a break from. It's a, it's a certain kind of... Everyone needs something from me and I've seen them in action because I've done a few events and stuff. And it's th that thing of people coming up and wanting mm. something and wanting to say something and telling their life story. Because, you know, if you're in the public eye, you get that a lot too. You get a lot mm. of stories. Um, but also I think it's slightly out of my wheelhouse is what I would say in that I'm not um, – I'd have to do a lot of homework to get there because in this – A lot of people in Parliament House haven't done a lot of homework oh, to get there. That's true. I know. In this climate, I just feel like you can be gotcha'd at any moment. Totally. You just want to really know. And what I love about some of the independents is that um, people kept saying, but they don't know anything about politics. You go, you know what? They're overqualified to be in there. Also, what do you need to really know about politics? Like, exactly. You need to know about, yeah. like, you talk to a legal spender or, you know, yeah. Mike Ryan. But or I still don't really know how my tax works. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's those things. I still don't quite know how... You know, it's things like everyday stuff. I kind of model through it and I think you need to be on top of that. I don't mind being a cheerleader of that or being part of it in some way. No, I think it's going to be something different to that and um, it doesn't mean you can't be a good helper along the way. I'll okay. MC things for free. All I'm right. a big free MCer. Call Julia Zamiro for yeah. your free MCing gig. Anytime. When she works on turning if political, political speeches into uh, yeah. kangaroo feed.
What you, to oh. prevent them from pooing. Well, There's your next. that was your call. If thank I finish much. it, I look forward to the next conversation. Uh, thanks for being on the show, Julia. Lovely to see you. No, thank you, Josh Sexton. Thank you.